This is the third conversation with my feminine love. And we do what Matthew talks about at the very end, which I'm not sure we'll, you will hear, but I heard it. Um, of, of stepping into this, the pool of us, the three of us in this conversation, and just go with the flow and truly do that. So we speak about Gudfortsättning, which is the Swedish term used now. Today is the 4th of January. And up until New Year's Eve, you can say, uh, Happy New Year. But after, you say Gudfortsättning, which kind of means have a good continuance. Um, so going down the language, whole and then coming up in relationships to the body to the earth to all that is and yeah these two are two of my most favorite people so it's a treat to get to spend a couple of hours with them and i hope you feel the same so enjoy I thought I recorded ages ago. <laughs> Sorry, I recorded my sound, but that doesn't really help. Now we're recording. Thank you. Remind me earlier next time like when you see me, because I, I thought I pressed record. <laughs> I'm very sensitive to that little red light. So, um... <laughs> I mean, it's my friend. It's I'm not sensitive to it in that I get shy necessarily or at all <laughs> no. so tell me again how how that um happy continuation is said so is... in sweden we say good fortsetting good fortsetting yeah which is what you say after new year's eve sort of you know, a day or two, you can say Happy New Year, but then you say Good Foot Sydney. Um, Good Foot Sydney. <laughs> Swedish is a very, very, uh, I've, I've just begun recently to take tentative steps to being a Swedish speaker. <laughs> or mm. or as, I, as I've been playing not music lately, I'm thinking of myself as a not Swedish speaker, but 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 not letting that stop me. And, uh, <laughs> but there's something you know, there's um, an actor acting teacher told me once about um, I don't, this might have come from Peter Sellers or someone I don't know who it came, but maybe it's just common knowledge in the acting world. But there's something to acquire an accent. So that's distinct from a from a language, but it's also a part of it, right? Um, to acquire an accent, you align yourself with this 
it, it, it's an accent is translated into an attitude, or that that's that that's what you're actually seeking to pick up. That if you can pick up the attitude, if you can identify and pick up the attitude, the accent flows naturally. And so, in listening to not so much in listening to Swedish, I mean, I do hear it, but when I it's when I start to try and speak Swedish that I realize just how far from my own ability to pronounce anything it sounds, it, yeah. It, yeah that there are there, there's and there's a not even just individual sounds but a flow to it there's a there's something mm -hmm. some kind of a rhythm and a mm -hmm. method of accentuation that is um very distinct from anything that i've ever spoken which is not much more than english a little bit of french a little bit of spanish but um and so but it but it's interesting how it's not until i actually begin to try to say something that that becomes I, I'm really kind of confronted with that. Um, but then that also makes it like then I've begun in a way, like in a way that's like the first traction in terms of speaking something. So, Yeah, and it's, I mean, all sorts of things pop. One is when my pre-Cal teacher in, in the U.S. when I was a foreign exchange student, you know, it was, I came in August, September, and I think school term starts in September. Um, in December, he found out that I was Swedish because he thought I was from Minnesota because of the right. tilt. But I had kind of, you know, I it, it made sense for him that I was from Minnesota. Um, but this thing about it's not until you actually try that you understand. I get that all the time with, you know, you try to do a yoga pose or just do push-ups or the thing that my seven app says you should do with your legs. And I'm going, yeah, sure. No problem. And then I try and my legs said, you are not doing this to me. <laughs> it's like, no way. And I'm going, but why can't I, you know, it's like, I don't have the language for it. My, right. the physical language for it, it's not in me. Uh, yet, because as you say, I don't take that as I won't ever be able to. Right. I take it as right now, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to, you know, but, but word wise, I have, it, it's kind of easy for me to try different words and make them sound the way they should mm. um my my sister-in-law is from is thai uh, thailand thai language has a lot of weird stuff compared to swedish but it's like i can i can hear it i can make sense of it and i don't know if it is that the swedish um we have we have sounds that a lot of the languages of earth don't have i think uh -huh. we're not we're nowhere near what like the the right. sound people of south africa and because those are just those are really really hard but so i haven't it's it's that type of those types of words dominic tried to teach me now and again doing these uh -huh. yeah. really weird words that that are it's like I don't how to where to put my tongue, mm -hmm. but but English or Spanish or Italian or Latin is like I can I yeah 
I can find the uh-huh. the position of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Well, all of those are coming from Proto-Indo-European, ultimately, which is. But I can do Thai too. It's like I can okay. I can yeah, yeah. pretend yeah, okay. to do Chinese true. or yeah. Japanese or you know, it's like I I I played with. Um, like various languages. Finnish isn't really easy either, but it's not because it's hard to pronounce. It's because the words are like 50 letters long with just consonants. It's like, how? <laughs> Welsh, you know, that Llanguelin, yeah. whatever the longest. Yep. There can yeah. be some tricky stuff there. Yeah. Um, well, and that happens some in German too. It might be, have more to do with, with what happens in Finnish than it does with a Brythonic language like Welsh. But the like the long, I mean, I, I, the German is like words put together, as I understand yeah. it, which, which is same as Swedish. So for okay. me, those right. are right. I can kind of I can decipher long right. German words, long right. Finnish Not words are just different stacked consonants with a couple of vowels now and again. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that Welsh and, and the, I, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but Brythonic is the family, B-R-Y-T-H-O-N-I-C. Um, and I, I'm not positive about this, but I think that the, that family of languages is effectively um, an indigenous language family to Europe. So that that's the, so that it's got nothing to do with any of the Proto-Indo-European languages that came in, whether it's Germanic or Romanic or or mm. what, you know whatever else. Um, it's mostly, I guess, Germanic and, and Romantic. Um, so there's, um, it's a, yeah, it's it's. Rem- I'm always grateful that those languages have survived to the extent that they have because there's a. There's a strong diversity, like there's a strong difference between that and everything else. Like there's a great difference between Swedish and Spanish, of course, and they're still related. A lot of way, similarities. Right. Yeah. right. Um, but they're still, they were still related in a way that yeah. Swedish or Spanish or English or German or Finnish are not related to Gaelic or Welsh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, they come from the past, like. Yes. And from the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think yeah. Finnish and hu- Hungarian do too, or are they, they yeah. are they just branches like further down because they are something completely different? I don't know about Finnish. I've wondered that about Finnish, particularly as you're talking about it today um, as a Swedish speaker, it being so different. Um, and I've I think it's completely. Hungarian that I've Hungarian yeah. is one of the languages that stumps. Yeah, because right? Hungarian and Finnish are those are related, and then everything else okay. kind of is something else. Well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, and and Basque is another one I think mm-hmm. that is that mm-hmm. is a, a, um, I don't know what the term is like in a in a in a family context. It's like an orphan kind of status, yeah. like where there's yeah. no one's they haven't no one's been able to figure out where it's from 
Um, although there are all, there's some wild theories about, you know, various mm. potential sources that are far away and stuff, but it may just, I mean, seems to me just as makes sense that it might just be indigenous, that it's a language that arose in the place and has remained. Stayed yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like when you said about the attitude because, um, there is a distinguished accent in Scotland, which is from Glasgow. And I think to speak Glasgonian <laughs> is to have Glasgonian spirit. Mm. If not, it's really, you, it, it, you put yourself in, in Glasgow, they say that Glas, uh, Glasgow is made by his people. There has no frontiers. Um, and I think with the accent, uh, it kind of transmits also that attitude like that. It's not in another part of Scotland, it's just in Glasgow. Uh -huh. It makes me think of that as an expression of a people, like that, that, that there is a distinctness to a people like Glaswegians. Um, or a distinctness to Swedes, I would say in English, um, and or you know, or to Southerners in the U.S. or to even like Georgians in the U.S. or um, it can be as specific as you want it, um, but that that has to do with um, that. But it's 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 not just and so you know, setting aside nomadic culture for a moment. That that in the con in what I'm pointing to has to do with a people as of a, a people that are held together by a culture. A people a people is to say a group of people are a people is an indication that they have a shared culture. And to me, in this setting, that is about culture as something that arises through the relationship of a people with a place. And so what you're saying about Glasgow makes sense to me along those lines. Yeah. Um, and, and even nomadic people, they have a relationship with the place. It's just a broader geographical context through which they move. But you don't, you know, I mean, over time, certainly Proto-Indo-European spread through nomadic peoples going further and further. But that turns into a colonializing process or, 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 or something else, maybe just a diaspora. But that, um, you know, Nomad, nomadism is typically within a certain geographical context. It's just not settled like agriculture. And so you would still have um, a people, a culture of a place. Um, and presumably, if this theorizing is correct, that a, a, <laughs> a, an accent that is indicative of an attitude that is a part of that people in that culture. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, in related to plays, and people. Um, I will go, maybe it's a, a little bit pushy too much, but I will go what is opposite to. I, I, in Glasgow, I think a lot of the attitude is I'm from Glasgow. I'm not from Edinburgh. Edinburgh. I'm not mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. any other part of Scotland. I'm from Glasgow. It's, it's like a, there is a pull of tension in opposition that makes that attitude too, and the asset. From my point of view and experience, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> may not be real, but. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, it's, it makes sense. I mean, it's like a, a negative definition. I mean, mm. on, on a certain level, it's like I, defining yeah. what I am by by identifying what I am not, and that's actually what, to some extent, we we do in terms of self identity with memory. Um, I don't know a whole lot about this. I read a little bit about it, but the idea that is that we, um, by, we don't remember everything, right? So what we do remember is what we identify with, but how we get to what we do remember is by what we forget, right? So there's, it, it, what's left standing is the sort of the positive aspect of it, as in positive space, not as in good, but um, what we can see, but what's fallen away is what actually is allowing the definition. Because if, mm -hmm. if we hadn't forgotten all these things about ourself, then we wouldn't be who we are, we'd be less defined, right? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and it makes me wonder about these people who do remember everything. It's like, wow. do they like then turn kind of more chameleon-like? Um, it was through the memoirs of one of those people. In fact, I think the first one known to science officially. Um, that So there may be a, a scale here, a spectrum, but this is someone who defines a medical diagnosis by being at the far end of the spectrum. That if you, she was born in the 60s or 70s, and if you asked her what day of the week it was on Easter in 1973, she wouldn't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. She could tell you the day of the week, what she wore, what her parents wore, what they had for breakfast, lunch, dinner, what the priest said at mass, etc. And for her, it's like, oh, wow, you'd be great on Jeopardy or something. Well, it's a curse. that's easy for us. Yes, it is a curse. And, and it was a it was a it was a def the defining problem of her life. And so she's talking about that in terms of identity. How do I know who I am if I'm unable to forget anything? Because this is a function of identity. Yeah, I've, I've, today I was, um, I played office at Caspian's today. And one of the things that we spoke about was something that we've spoken about in, in the creative community too, this aspect of validation of somebody else seeing you and sh like sharing, sharing their view of you sharing their appreciation of what it is that they see this this thing of, of yeah of being seen um and and how that like you say matthew is like how what i have been seen as you know what's been reflected back to me and definitely shaped me into who i am for better or for worse, right? I mean, it really goes both ways because, oh, we don't want that one. You know, it's like, so So maybe there are aspects of me that could have flourished in, in ways that would really have served me, but that my surroundings weren't too fond of. Um, and how I have a, I have a friend who's, also one of my coaching clients uh, he's just 
he's stellar at this. He is so good in every conversation we have, be it a coach walk or an email or a text or, you know, regardless of what it is, he always puts a positive spin on something about me. So it's like, and I, I perceive it as, as being him. That is, that is in his DNA. He, he does that. Um, but just, you know, working with someone like that, being around someone like that is like, wow. <laughs> uh, because he's, he's, you know, and I don't, I don't perceive it at all as being manipulative or he's just in it for the gains that he can, you know, it's like, there's not, it's just, it, it feels for me very, very genuine and very much just in his DNA. This is how he does it. This is what he does. Um, so I always, I always leave the coach walks that I do with him feeling great. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, I hope he does the same too, but maybe for other reasons. I found it, I found it interesting because since we are in relationship, I mean, our identity forms in relationship. That's we are. That that what I mean when since we are what we are because we are in relationship and bring it to that uh, the parts we forget in order to identify ourselves as ourselves. That's a really great, I mean, a combination of is that opposites or is that complementary? I think they're in relationship, whatever yeah. they are. <laughs> I mean, I pre they really are. appreciate you bringing relationship in because I've it, it, it it's uh, there's some like connecting tissue there for me because as Helena, as you were talking, I was realizing that, um, I mean, I, it's I maybe not a new realization, but it's coming to the surface that um, for me, the problem has been the on the other end of the spectrum from this woman who can't forget and that I can't remember. Like, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I feel like I keep getting indications that my memories are intact. I've just never been able to access them. And um, I mean, it's not... I'm not starring in memento or anything like I'm, 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 I can remember things. There are things I do remember when I got here on the call, Helena, I knew who you were, you know, I mean, yes. it's not, I'm yes. not, I'm, I'm not entirely without memory. And whenever I, you know, I, I went foraging for photographs in a, in a town called Clifton Forge, a little ways away from here where I knew my great aunt, um, raised her family and I had a sense that we'd probably visited that when I was a child and I asked my siblings at Thanksgiving and they said 
what you don't remember and I was like aren't you used to this now like I don't remember childhood like I just don't have and my siblings and so this is how I know that there's something distinct about my experience and that my siblings are just roll their eyes and they're you know and they'll say like you know we went and Sydney took us to the train yard and they you know and, and they remember a whole experience of a day I went to that town and did not recognize it and had and walking around that town no memory like there's some sense of familiarity maybe but no memory of it and that's just i'm just talking about one day in my life in my childhood right but that is across the board the case and so i have these little snapshots like little polaroids or something of like that's this house that's this person that's this you know maybe even an event to some extent but like i remember like a field day in elementary school and like some snapshot image of me pulling a bur burlap sack up my legs to do a you know like a three-legged race or something and um but that's the extent of it there are a few anecdotes here and there but so then in terms of identity you'd think well so if it's if on one end of the you know you think i'd be very well defined and yet it's that's not that's not the case, at least in my own experience. It may well be that other people have very clear definition of me. And in fact, that's sort of what I sense, um, have sort of had to grapple with. But so there's, in terms of relationship though, there is, um, when I started doing trauma work, doing work with a trauma therapist to move through, resolve my own, what turned out to be developmental trauma, which I didn't know going, I didn't know anything going in. I just knew that, <laughs> nothing was working um, and uh, she uh, um, also became my teacher Kate White and she was talking about accurate reflection that this is a, one of the core needs of an, of a, of an infant she does a lot most of her work is actually not with adults but with um, infants and young families um, and uh, and so that was really wonderful for me because then that's where a lot of my problems begin and so i have her perspective was in, in very to the point and useful but so if if you get accurate if a child gets accurate reflection so if if the caregivers are um reflecting back like a mirror what they see accurately as opposed to a cloudy mirror, a funhouse mirror, or something else, then that's the only way the child has, that's how, that's how an individual begins to know themselves is by the response in others, right? So through relationship as in what you were saying. Um, and if you have inaccurate reflection or no reflection, would be even worse, but inaccurate reflection is, gives you a distorted view of yourself from the get-go um, and then you know, you have different relationships throughout your life, but it's all beginning from this point of misunderstand, misapprehending who you are by virtue. You're, you only, you don't know that it's inaccurate reflection. You just know what's getting reflected back. So the assumption is it's all I've got to go with. So this is who I am. So then finding out in my forties that, oh, <laughs> this has never been who I am. But so in terms of the, what's possible, my sense is that there is a, if I can remember this language, it came to me when Inma was sharing, but that um, there is a need for um, people to be able to see you for who you are um, and not to confine you in who they have decided you are, right? So there's an, there's an, there's a, 
there's an imposition that can happen of like, I like you this way, I need this in a person, and there's an imposition of that. But then it's, it's not just that simple. It's not just that the absence of that is ideal, because there needs to be also like an openness or, or a, a quality of vision that, it, that is, um, I get in trouble in relationships because I see, I know I'm not alone in this, but this has been my experience, because I see the potential in someone, and I confuse that with what's actually presenting. Right. Okay. And so, so, and so that's right. So that's, that's, that's problematic. And it's also indicative of the kind of vision I'm talking about. So that you're seeing someone not as a static stone in the moment, but that you're seeing that there's a, there's, there's a, a temporal stretch. There's a temporal uh, uh, spectrum there that you can see who someone could become. And that's part of why someone is attractive. Because you see who they are, and then there's this magic of like, wow, like there's potential here because potential is important. And so, so if you, if you're surrounded by people who lack that vision, or for whom that vision is is, uh, or who are more invested in the convenience of of successfully imposing upon you who they want you to be, then you are confined either way. And so there needs it's like there's a balance somehow. Um, but but all of that is of course like mediated in relationship hmm. it, it's fun to see both me and Inma like raise our hands and say, yeah, <laughs> we yeah. do. Um, i do that all the time and i i it's like i also want to like i also want to be be kind of honoring both myself and and the other person in that in the now too so that i don't hold someone to their potential because that can really mess things up too um but (laughs) i i i wonder about this thing because i've been i have i have a good memory in general but it is best from like my before and after moment of when when um, my first husband called to break up with me just when I was pregnant with our first child and all of that stuff. So it's like pre that less defined memories, post that really defined memories because because I've I've been working so much with me also, but. I even before that I noticed how my childhood, my memories of early childhood and, and up through the, the years was often less defined, less apparent. It's like I have books in that, you know, in the in the library of memories, but if I compare it to some of my classmates. They had like shelf after shelf after shelf. And I had three books for this period of time. Like, and many of those friends are friends who have stayed in one place. Mm. People who, when I was living in, in Limham in Malmö, uh, first grade until seventh grade, I had already moved a couple of times. I'd moved cities and 
there were people here who were still living in the house where they were born and their parents were still married and this, that. And then when I moved up to Avika in Värmland, uh, eighth grade until first year in what we call gymnasiet, um, same there. I had people who had, you know, and, and it could even be that their, their, their parents were born in that house. You know, it's like so this really long continuance to place. That uh-huh. um, I don't know if that is, again, if that is also part of the anchors that, that are there. And I also have a mother who had moved 16 times by the time that she turned 16. You know, so so she doesn't have that sense of place either, um, which might also have kind of helped me to not have that sense of place, right? Because um, I kind of saw the same in her. Um, It brings two things or maybe three things to me. One is speaking of relationship and identity. I had a, on Sunday, I had like a, a revelation, <laughs> if you want, that uh, I had memories, I had clear memories when I, that when I was a child and um, there is some, it was some, what my father had, what you say, Matthew, my father had an opinion <laughs> about who I am. That wasn't accurate, but was obviously was really real for him, but he couldn't pin out that. The only thing that he could pin that I was different. And that was a transmission, continuous transmission. And also another part of that was because I was different, it was gonna be for me difficult to survive in the world. He translated that to, you are a silly girl. So the other day, uh, that memory came to me that he calling me that for that obviously wasn't memory for one day it was a continuous uh, thing preference and um, I put the dots because things that other parts of uh, my childhood were more accurate <laughs> or seem about seeing me, about the reflection they gave me about myself, that part hold, obviously it hold, but I didn't hold as strongly as it could have been the only reference, right? Uh, but I, um, then I realized that there are people in my life today that has that same, and, and I was wondering that the thing was, is I am not that, I know I am not that, but again, I'm still sending or getting that reflection of me. 
which is 55 years later. Interesting. <laughs> Silly girl. Silly girl. Or, or you are not, at some point in my life, you cannot cope, you cannot, you are not able to, you are not going to be able to survive in this world. And I'm telling you, we are six brothers and sisters. I am the best on survival. <laughs> and maybe it was because of that. <laughs> maybe it was because um, that reflection I didn't want, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate uh, all there. But that was an interesting uh, revelation about, okay, so I'm still getting that, I'm still relating to people that is reflecting of me. You are not able to, you are not gonna be able to survive. You know, cannot manage on yourself, funny enough. And the other thing I forgot, <laughs> the other reference I forgot. Well, right. what comes up come. for, yeah, hopefully it will come. In the, in the interim, what comes up for me in listening to that is sort of a, a sense of a, of, of, of a, I won't say the dynamic, but a dynamic that might be in play um, that you're presenting an example of you're in your own life and mm. I'm responding to as, you know, coming from that, but not necessarily speaking about you, mm. but that maybe this is a dynamic that um, is how each of us are shaped over time begin on a sort of on a trajectory beginning with our initial relationships these formative relationships with parents and their perceptions of us and their reflection to us of who we are filtered through their own lens of awareness of you know this child's going to have a hard time they need to know that ahead of time and be prepared mm -hmm. for it or you know there's often a protective sort of element to that and and there can also be pathology involved there can be you know the results of trauma where it's just a, a parent is unable to see themselves clearly and so then can't if you're you know if you're a funhouse mirror you can't reflect anything straight to you know anything objective back to anyone else and so but that but that moving on from formative relationships into the schoolyard into adolescent relationships and romantic relationships and going to college and becoming an adult in the world and the way that the kinds of relationships that we have change over time and then we move from place to place and meet new people when we're fully established adults and there's all these different ways but that i'm thinking of to bring a metaphor in i'm thinking of um the process of making a mold of something like whether it's a a, a cake or uh, you know a, a, a toy or something that you have this negative you have a, a a piece of metal let's say that's a negative a hollow that you fill with something liquid that then hardens into something solid and you pop it out and you have boom one side of the cake or half of the toy or whatever um, and so there there's on a certain level we could call that a reflection right it's it's not. A, like a mirror visual reflection well it is visual but it's instead it's this other way of reflect that the 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 hardened material that's poured into the mold when removed reflects back the shape of the mold and that's the purpose of the mold but so so you could also then take that so we have a negative and a positive right the hollow is the negative space we fill it with positive material and we get a positive reflection so imagining that I am 
born into the world as this positive material to fill a hollow. And that is the ref that is the reflection of my family around me. And then I come out of that family and I'm shaped as a reflection of the, the mold I was poured into. So then I go and encounter other people and I, as I interact with them, it's, it's, it's not exactly the same thing, right? It's not like I'm getting poured into this mold because I have definition. I'm not just a liquid creature like I was when I first showed up. But there is, but so maybe, well, yeah. And so if I, so, but I, so Inma's indicating for the audio listeners that like maybe that's not exactly the case or maybe that's not all there is to it because then the metaphor breaks down if that's all there is to it. But so, so the, to the extent that I am still fluid um, or, or, or maybe, am and am not fluid, that um, the, uh, where I'm going with the metaphor is that by, de by, by, um, <laughs> by dent, uh, to use it, a more obscure English word, by dent of the way that I am defined, I am seeking out people that will meet me in that definition. I'm seeking out hollows that match my shape, right? And, and so... Um, and so what is that shape like? Well, it's like the mold I was poured into. It's like my family, right? Or it's like the individual relationships from that original context. And so then I find myself, and then I change context and I get changed by each of these interactions and so forth and so on. But there's a current always running through um, unless there's some truly major breach, like I get enlightened or I have a leg cut off or something that there's, you know, there could be some traumatic event or some, you know, totally redefining relationship, but that there's still some current running through from the original mold. And so I might turn out to be 55 and find myself to be surrounded by very similar reflections this, or the same reflection in the faces of different people um, in the relationships that surround me and that that is a result, this is a result of this molding process with the positive and the negative and the back and forth. Um, I, I don't feel like I've done a very good job of explaining that, but did, did I get, did anything come across there in you terms have, of what I'm have. pointing to? Okay. <laughs> and, and, and I immediately go to feet and shoes. Oh, sure. Right. Cause it's yeah. like, we're born with this, engineering wonder that a foot is you know it's absolutely astonishing what a foot is and then we put it into today these shoes that are of a mold that type push the toes together and make sure that the heel won't be able to do the thing the heel is supposed to do and all of this and growing up you know you have grown feet with warped, um, you know, shapes, and you have bunions, and you have uh, planta fascitis, and you have all of these deformations. Deformations, precisely. Thank you, Inma. It's all of these deformations because of the mold that I have been, or others, my parents put my feet into as opposed to me walking barefoot or in barefoot shoes that actually allow the shape of me to stay 
to make sure that no parts of me atrophies, no parts of my muscles go unused, but that it is there. It's like the, the well-oiled machinery uh, of the foot is allowed to work the way it's kind of supposed to be. And imagine growing up in that type of surrounding, it's still a protection, right? The, 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 if, you know, barefoot shoes that my parents, if they had put me in those, they would have protected me from cold and from snow and from, you know, cuts and bruises and possibly without molding me so tightly that my spirit uh, isn't allowed to, to, to be. But if they were to put me in that type of shoe, what I am could still be there, right? Yeah. So we need to be barefoot shoes to each other. <laughs> mm. I, I, mm, 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 okay. Go for it. <laughs> the, 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 the feet, the food metaphor or not so much metaphor but the food analogy it gets me to uh, to 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 a, a scenario that is because people care for you they put you choose and then all that happens, right? With the water metaphor, we are 70%, actually, we are water. And that's why I said- Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, yes, obviously part of that water goes to the, to the food and the food mold, mold, mold into the two that we put it, we put ourselves in or our parents do or but the the um water part of us could be could get to ice and could get to air vapor or really and when when you were talking about and that's the connection with the memory. When you were talking about people who stays in a place forever in all their lives and has a lot of, because my sister is like that and have a lot of uh, identity based on all the memories that they have and the stuff, the memory of the stuff they have accumulated along the way. And we, we move, let's, the stuff goes yeah, all the time. Things. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, this water thing, <laughs> I like it. Mm. It molds into the first process of, and then if it gets to ice, there is something that has to happen to to to. There is a physical process that has to happen to become water again, right? Yeah. And and through these molds, water going through ice processes and, and again, water, uh, um, new molds. And, and, and I think through that, that's life, okay? That's the metaphor of life. And then through those 
canals of rivers that we are the molds and when we move through and shaping our identity, obviously there are the formations like our food, right? Or our feet. Uh, if, if we manage to keep going liquid, there is something there that is the essence of water that is us. Precisely, and even mm. if you were to be a hundred and you'd really have deformed feet, you can start to work them. Those atrophied muscles and tendons and, and whatnot, it's not, okay, I'm screwed. I, you know, cause you can turn into water again, but to the liquid part of it again. So, so, so there's always that, like the possibility of reshaping in mm. a sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like stepping onto the world stage in my bare feet right now, because <laughs> in terms of this conversation, like to move it to to connect this conversation to that, that um, and I won't even necessarily take us there, but just point to the door and in by noting a few things that are there in this mix already is that um, plasticity mm -hmm. is one. Phase transition is another, and that's maybe going veering off in another direction. Perhaps, Phase as in pH, yeah. P pHase as in the 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 state the state change of a of a of a substance. liquid to water. Yeah, water yeah, becoming ice. Ice becoming yeah. yeah. Um, and then also um, relationship. Uh, simultaneously with one another, person to person. And I mean that in the human sphere and beyond the human sphere, if we acknowledge the personhood of trees, of animals, of the planet, etc., um, which is also a, a recognition of agency in those others, right? But that, Definitely. But, that, but that that also is a different kind of relationship landscape with our, our context, um, which is our home, which is our ancestors, which is all of these other elements. And um, because and so this began coming up for me with the shoe metaphor, which as Inba pointed out is not only a metaphor or an analogy, but that is also, there's something literal there. Um, this is something I've talked about with both of you before, maybe not on the podcast, but that has come up, I know in conversation, is that, um, that our, um, if I don't lose my train of thought, uh, is that uh oh so that the way the, the i think of it about in terms of geometry sometimes um we live we, the anthropogenic space is a euclidean it's born of of abstract left brain euclidean geometry mm -hmm. um, there are straight lines or they seem to be straight lines they're 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 the best humans can do at straight lines because straight lines don't actually exist in reality um in in tangible reality um because even the horizon is a curved line, right? And and um, but that uh, in the natural world, in 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 our actual home, if we if we step off of the concrete onto not just mown grass, but we go out into the woods and walk on tree roots and rocks and this that and the other, the what is that geometry compared to a sidewalk, right? It's it's 
it's complex, it's diverse, mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's alive, it's, it's all of these other things. And so, so I'm just, to me, there's a lot of, uh, I'm, I'm examining my, my relationship with the terms hope and optimism right now, because I've been getting some new influences in regards to that. Um, so I'm, I'm hesitant to use either of those words, but there's, I mean, feel encouraged. In, this, this is the sort of thing that encourages me to um, be optimistic. Um, and uh, because there's, I feel like a lot of the cultural surround when we step onto the world stage in conversation in terms of what do we do now? Like, how is this going to, like, what's happening? How is it going to end? Is it going to end? Like, you know, there's a lot to be... It's easy to be cynical, pessimistic. It's easy to, to lose hope. It, it looks really dire because it is, you know, and, and, and without discounting the, the gravity of what's going on in the world in the, in the, in the relationship between human, humans and the earth, um, the consequences of all our actions, um, without, without, like I said, without disregarding the gravity of that, there can also there's also space for optimism. That doesn't need to be, and, and I don't know. Like some people use the term cautious optimism. I know other people are using a word hope. Like hope without optimism, I think is something that Nora Bateson and/or Dave Snowden have referred to this phrase, and that's I haven't grokked that yet. Um, Stephen J Jenkinson sort of encouraged me, his writing, to move away from hope. I'd already kind of done that because hope is always either about the past or the future. And if I'm, which are both important, and also there's some, some value in being in the present. So, but not to get sidelined by a couple of terms here, that plasticity is um, the way you say, Helene, even if you're 100 years old, you've been wearing shoes since you were three, you can your your feet will begin to heal. I know this is true for the nervous system and trauma. We know increasingly this is true in in, in the neurology of the human body, which is not limited to the brain. Um, but we certainly there was this prevailing view for a long time that you know the we start dying when we're 27 or something, the brain starts deteriorating, and that's it. I hope you had a good time, but that that's not actually the way it works. Um, and so that we can actually so. But the other thing I'll 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 Want to, I want to underline or point to within this mix is um, the the uh, is about relationship is about the relationship between humans and the re and and so <laughs> I don't know how to use language to say this because it's kind of a meta perspective but that the relationship between the relationships between humans and the relationship between humanity and earth and in insofar as we're not top down decision making is an anthropogenic feature it's not a feature of the of of the of the biosphere of ecology and i'm not separating humanity out from the biosphere but we've kind of done that for ourselves right so by through this process of top down decision making Fungi don't do it that way, and they were here first, actually, <laughs> you know, and they're still here, and it's doubtful that anything we do that's not utterly catastrophic, which is possible, um, is going to shut down what fungi do. Like, they'll change, but that's what they do, right? And so, but, but mainly with them and, and others in the, in, the, um, in the biosphere, in ecology, 
in the natural world, decision making is a bottom up thing, or it's a person to person. It's a um, it's it's a it's distributed. That's the word I'm looking for. It's just the distributed decision making, which happens in relationship between one thing and the next, one person and the next, whether that's a, a, a fungal person or a botanical person or, or a human person. And so when distributed change happens, and this is where phase transition comes in, and this might be veering into something like woo-woo, and maybe not, I'm not sure, like um, I haven't read extensively about it, but it certainly works as a metaphor for me in that it feels like a, I, I recognize this is a, a natural dynamic and therefore a, a teacher. Um, like this is, these are the, the modules that I get from, the nat, from, from Mother Nature in terms of lessons are in the form often of dynamics. So the way that, how water responds to it, like how a stream responds to an obstacle. There is a lifetime of learning in that that is applicable to how I move through my day, right? And so, um, and make decisions in my life. And so, this is what I'm pointing to in terms of phase transition. Whether we're reading about it from the TM transcendental meditation perspective, where there have been subjective-based studies conducted that are maybe not the most rigorous science, and so that's why I'm saying maybe there's, there's some woo here. But if we talk about this as a metaphor, then the way that that change happens, the way that, that phase transition occurs is more or less all at once. That, um, that when, when water boils, like, yeah, you know, you can see like little bubbles forming initially, but then there's, it's not a, it's not a linear acceleration from, from liquid to gas. It, there is, there is a, that rolling boil comes in a moment, right? And so the same thing happens when water freezes. Um, and so if we think about, you know, I'm, I don't know, you know, objectively, is that a distributed action? That, that, so that, that I think about the way lily pads cover a pond with exponential growth. Like if that takes 30 days, then the pond is half filled on day 15. Right or, or on day sorry sorry day twenty nine I'm having the wrong thing I was never very good at I'm I'm with Einstein on simple math but um but that day twenty nine is when the pond is half filled and so then boom like in a thirty day month it's 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 filled the next day and so that is that a distrib is that is that a distributed thing I don't know that's a question but still playing I think we can still play with this metaphor if it's even if it's not. Um, even if we're mixing them with distributed decision making and but what I'm pointing to is there is a lot of wiggle room in the sense that you can drop your shoes at age 100 and your feet start to heal and we've driven human behavior has driven the climate of the planet the biosphere to the brink of something very difficult um, to, to put it mildly, um, and to just throw my hands up in the air and say, well, we were just a cancer on the planet. Like to me, that's, that's irresponsible and not grounded in reality, actually, that, that if there is still a way for us to change this, and if we know from teachers of natural dynamics, like streams and how water changes phase, that ch ch rapid change can happen with apparent ease toward a, co a new coherence, then 
there, like then why aren't like what if we look at that and move in that direction? Let that guide us. Like that 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 dynamic guide us and what we're how, how we're seeing the situation we're in. We saw that, didn't we? In one year, a lot of things came out. In, you mean in, with the global pandemic? Yeah. Yesterday, me and Inma were in a reading retreat and she picked up Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer and I said, oh, I'll go great get mine too. So I, I started reading it and before I did, Inma said, this book is our conversations here, these pod conversations, that's what is. And you had only gotten like, I don't know, a tenth of the book, like really just started. Um, so there's that. So if anybody wants to to read a good book do braiding sweetgrass and i've read 30 pages but i can still say that this is a good book but she in those already the first 30 pages she speaks about doing a survey because she's a professor of ecology botany whatever at some university in the u.s uh as uh she did an ecology class of some sort with students who were environmental botanist ecologists, whatever, something like that, like really deep into the human imprint on earth, let's put it that way, or modern man's imprint on earth, perhaps more correctly, asking them what positive things have has mm. humans you know, done to earth? What's the positive relationship there? And none of them could come up with even one idea where the human presence, where humanity could be seen as a positive. And it, you know, it breaks my heart to, to see it. And it break, broke her heart also to like recognize this. Um, because it is precisely as you say, Matthew, it's like, we are here, but to just look at us as if we are a scourge of the earth, of life, of, of, of the universe, it's like, no, that doesn't, it doesn't make, you know, that doesn't make sense, actually. It doesn't make sense. Why would we be here then? Yeah. It's like, that doesn't make sense at all. Mm. It's an imposition of a lack of vision, like we were pointing to earlier, right? But please go ahead. I, 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 that reminds me of uh, this. Um, if it's like we are so, uh, how how to say this? Everything is pointing to technology to solve the problem, obviously, but then to I'm gonna put an example. I think I think it will I I I will be able to to say what I want to say if I go through an example. Um, in order to avoid more or or to cut uh, carbon dioxide to the atmosphere, one of the pointings that are coming up is uh, everyone should be vegan. Everyone should be vegan. So if everyone is vegan in the planet, right? Problem solved. 
problem solved. No problem solved, but it's 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 gonna be better. It's gonna be a I don't know the percentage uh, uh, on my head, but it's like a thirty percent of less carbon. Blah blah blah. And and then I I started to read and 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 and, and get why people. It, for me, it's totally out of sense. Like like we were saying, what are we here? You know, it's, it's, it's all the animals in the world are here for no reason. It's, it's that this relationship between animals and humans, not, not the one that exploits that we have done, but the relationship between, is that what we want? Cut through? It, that relationship, what's gonna happen with the kettles? Who is gonna eat the grass? <laughs> because because that is a relationship formed, maybe as you say, deformed yeah. with time from the aspect or coming from the aspect of I can use this. This is a resource for me, and and I'm gonna abuse it. In that respect, okay, is a is a relationship by this deformed, but there is a relationship, like there is a relationship with everything else, getting us to not eat, absolutely no nothing to do with meat, where is gonna where is gonna gonna get us, uh, okay, less emissions, but in the long term. Hmm. Yeah, it's a big question mark for me. Why even there are people pointing out to that direction? Yeah, I, I just, I for me, it's like, I see that I, I can feel the relationship from with me and the planet. Should we cut everything, every relationship? Should we not even eat anything? So we can maintain the planet? Doesn't make sense. People want a simple solution to a complex problem and, and there is no such thing, right? It's yeah. like a single, it's like, I've got the best single bullet that will solve, you know, it's like this, this will, and it's like, no, no. For one thing, like, and again, like, is that how mother nature does it? Right? Mother nature is complexity. And everything that happens is complex in that context. And the humans are like, hmm, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. So that means that mm, this one alkaloid from this complex plant, we can just throw away the rest of it. I got the alkaloid that'll solve the problem. Hooray! And like, and, and it, so I see that. Why is it that other people don't see that? Like in my, you know, we've, I know we've been in conversation in various contexts about, and it's what you're pointing to, I think, is that there's, there's, how is it that, I mean, we're going to probably going to get right back to McGilchrist here, but that, um, <laughs> but that, but the coincidence of opposites, the, 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 which hemisphere is dominant, like that, that why is it that other people can't see that? Like, I've never been able to see the clothes that everybody else seems to say the emperor is wearing. Like what I just I can't can't see it and they can't not see it. Yeah. So how like what how is that? I mean hmm. I've come to see that through reading McGilchrist. Um, for those who are <laughs> don't know who that is, Dr. Ian McGilchrist, who wrote 
um, the master and his emissary, and more recently, the matter with things, which I have not yet read. Um, Inma may have begun that by now, but um, but that but that certainly looking at the history of the Western world through the lens of the divided brain is um, one way of starting for me has been one way to start to see that clearly how it is that I'm able to see these things because I I've been by you know the grace of God or something like able to retain a right brain experience in the world which has made my life very difficult but but it's like a, a curse that is a blessing or a blessing that is i mean it's just a blessing but that it's been a very difficult path but i i haven't sought to be that way but i think that is a difference in me that is what makes me feel like an outsider in western culture because western culture is a culture that's founded on it's a culture that brought us left brain dominance and that left brain dominance is what has brought hum is what has like brought humanity to the brink of destroying their home um and i, I was going to go somewhere else with that that was also useful but i've forgotten it so <laughs> i've got a there are a lot of ideas coming out at once right now <laughs> i have just been because i i bought a new ipad uh and when you do buy a new Mac, you get three months free on Apple TV or whatever it's called. So I, 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 um, I started that three month, you know, free trial just before Christmas. And I've been watching a series that they've done that's called C, S-E-E, -E, as in actually C, vision with the eyes. And it's a dystopian, futuristic, um, place with Jason Momoa, who's this gigantic he-man of a person who played Aquaman. Um, humanity was struck by a virus that killed almost everybody on earth, except for tiny amount of people but everybody who survived turned blind and it's now a thousand years after that event and everybody is still blind except vision is starting to come through again but what has happened in these thousand years is that the 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 concept of vision has become like the, um, the, the scapegoat, the explanation of why humanity was struck by this virus. It was because of our vision, because we saw and thought that we saw with our eyes and we just made a total mess of the entire thing because we ignored all of the other senses. We ignored all of the other, that's at least my interpretation of this. So it's, it's interesting to, I've been, you know, it's like soup, it's violent, like crazy. It's like Vikings and, and Game of Thrones X, you know, it's like they kill each other and chop off heads back and forth. But it's been interesting to, kind of pick up on these, you know, really subtle little things that they say about 
our ability to see or not to see and how when we lean on one thing if we lean on vision and ignore the rest of the senses it really doesn't turn out that well not saying you have to take away vision for that to be true but but i think that's what is interesting now in a thousand year hands when vision is starting to reappear again it's like the people who are then born with vision all of a sudden get blinded in their other senses so so that their vi the vision is such a it is such a strong sense that we have it it makes up such a huge part of the sensory input you know it's 90% of the sensory input in any given second that i can understand you know it's like it makes perfect sense that they've chosen this this sense um because it is so easy to to just focus on that and not look into the other senses and what we can sense through skin through hearing through touch through barometric pressure differences through moisture through you know it's like all of those things um so i've been I've been making connecting dots to the state of the earth, the state of humanity, where we are and, and, and all of these, like probably going too far and connecting dots all over the place. Right. But but that's kind of what's fun about it. Um, and, and so you've said, I think, twice or maybe three times already in this episode, you've pointed out, Matthew, lack of vision, which is, is like there's vision and then there's vision it's like the actual seeing and then there's the ability to imagine to to envision um i'm just gonna say and the water is transparent at times how come well there can be muddy water yeah <laughs> Yeah. So what comes up for me is the question of context as well. So what are we looking at, right? So if, you know, if I'm in a, living in a square box, then that, you know, because we talked about accurate reflection, because that's also what's happening is we're, we're having, we're only having reflected back things that humans have made. And that is, we've, we've, we've um we've made a monoculture of ourselves mm -hmm. what happens to monocultures in the face of disease nothing very good mm -hmm. right no. Th that that you know and so sort of a timely timely observation there too right but that um but humans uh, you know a species that's interrelated with others like robin wall kimmerer later in that book goes into describing the three sisters and mm -hmm. from a botanical as a as a plant scientist uh, is able to speak specifically to that and also so from squash, an indigenous corn and, and beans beans nitrogen yes. yeah and so she then expands that to the four sisters because somebody's got to plant them because now they're domesticated plants they don't survive on their own mm. 
So we are in relation to those three plants together as a, as a polyculture and individually as plants have been shaped through the years through, through human relationship with them. And so they actually need humans to continue. And corn is, is a, one of the most sacred things in certain indigenous contexts and um, not things, but persons, right? I mean, that it, it's, um, to it to, to I say this because as a you know a, a, an American of English extraction by and large um, I grew up with corn in the grocery store and you have corn on the cob but it's not there's nothing sacred about that other than eat, saying grace before a meal right it's, it's just just another thing to eat um, but that in terms of then um, Inma you were saying, or, or no, Helena, you were talking about uh, when you first mentioned braiding sweetgrass, this question that she asked the students. She expands that or returns to that later with, um, or maybe she talks about it in that same section, but the question is, do you love the planet? And all of these young ecologists are just like, well, oh, you know, they're just vibrant with this positive response. And then she asked the question, does the planet love you? And like the life is sucked out of the room mm. and like, you know, people are getting small and they're, and so she's like, hmm, so that's, how is this going to work? Right. What kind of a relationship is that? Right. And so, um, and Charles Eisenstein points to this too with, with, you know, what this leave no trace ethic, like I'm all for not littering, but leave no trace is going too far. That's saying we're not in relationship with the planet. That is saying like we're mon we've monoculturized ourselves. There must be a better verb, um, and uh, we've separated ourselves out, parted ourselves out from the complexity of life, the life of the world of which we are a part, and we're in denial of it. Like people are, don't want to acknowledge that they're part of nature. Not, I mean, I think it's out of some sort of guilt or shame often, um, but that we need to look at that. Because that you know, there's a there's a twelve step tradition in, in, in one of the many twelve step programs that where it's a concept, so some something that is worked with a principle, let's say, um, which is phrased as particip participation is the key to harmony, right? So you can have melody without participation, but but you need relationship to have harmony. And so if we want a harm, like we want to have harmony with the natural world, guess what? We have to show up in relationship. We don't do that by, by not accepting graciously the love the planet has for us. We need to open the door to that perception. And that is about perception, I think. And it is about sense, the sensory experience. It is about, yeah. in terms yeah. of vision, it's about, are we just looking at four white walls or are we surrounded by, are we seeing the natural world around us in all of its complexity? And letting it reflect back our nature to us is part of that. Just a hands-on um, way of, of being in relationship and using the senses. This weekend, it's been un unseasonably warm here. So it's been 10 degrees Celsius, which is like 50 Fahrenheit. Um, it's been quite moist and, and raining today, but I've been out in the garden both Saturday and Sunday. And Saturday I was working with the bukashi soil because I've, I've, I, I created bukashi 
soil factories in the in the fall and now i needed the containers that they were in so that i can continue doing that inside because the one container i had was already filled yada yada so i was i was i was working these soil you know it's like i don't know 50 liter containers or something that i have i was working and i was stuck sticking my nose into it smelling it to see what's the smell of this what's what you know what's the texture what does this is this is there life here it's kind of what i was asking you know and is there life here that is beneficial that will be regenerative that will be nourishing the plants that i will be recording that was interesting hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you just disappeared <laughs> okay, I'm recording again and we're back. I was saying I was going to plant, you know, if the soil will be nourishing my, my plants and whatnot. And just three years ago, or at least four years ago, I wouldn't have known to even start to be in relationship with the soil in that way. Mm. you know Dominic has been guiding me uh it's like because I've been saying does it need water and he's like feel it yeah right it's like does it need more you know is this good or not it's like smell it dig feel it what's what's the texture what's the you know you can even taste it right um so it's been that's a, kind of a, a real life example of this being in relation with using the senses and that's circle close that's where i wanted to, to kind of pop in so that it doesn't just kind of feel like it's it's super out there abstract. and not applicable and not precisely abstract right but it's like it, it is it is doable here now it's like if you have a plant inside stick a finger in the soil what does that soil tell you you know it's almost like so the body has never not been part of nature like the like if, if yeah, we exactly. have a question about whether or not we're a part of nature just examine the human organism right it's a biological entity and and we each are the consciousness of each of us is centered in one right and so we, we, we are, and our, as such, our body has knowledge, our body has instinct, our body knows things, our body is the result of a really, really long process, <laughs> right? Like, we, like it's, you know, this has been, the, the, the bodies that we inhabit are the result of many changes over a very long time in mm -hmm. relationship with the context of life. And so, we have this cognition going haywire that is increasingly left brain dominant that can't see the whole picture but is really good at parting things out mm. and if we if in you know it's been pointed out that if you can be in your body you're in the present moment because you're not remembering something or thinking ahead. You're not worrying about the worrying about the future or regretting the past or hoping about the future or whatever, but that if you're in the experience, the sensorial experience of your body, you're in the present. But that also through that, you can allow, you can 
you can choose as you have agency, it, just as you can choose what you think about, you can choose to let your body guide you, to let your body teach you. Your body has information that your cognitive brain does not. It can become available to your, 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 your thinking mind, but you can um, have a relationship with your body. And, um, you know, when you're talking about the other senses, I was thinking about, about interoception, interoception, which is the technical term for internal sensation. Um, and I don't, and it's, it's not even necessarily some, well, it's, I guess, encompasses a number of different things, but that inter, by tapping into interoception, I can find out what my nervous system state is, because it's how the body is communicating with itself. Um, the, the brain distributed throughout the nervous system of the entire body is constantly, there's constantly traffic, sensory information moving through that um, for decision-making in response to what's going on around me. Um, and so there's, I think of it as a certain summation of a lot of sensory inputs. So if I tap into my interoception, like I'm tapping into this this river with a lot of tributaries with a lot of sensory tributaries so when there's incoming information 80 percent of the of the of the information that travels through the nervous system is traveling from the the from the body to the brain um, and so that's all coming from tactile uh, from all the different senses right including inter the the internal senses um, and so if I tune into that if I develop a relationship and 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 there's a certain skill to becoming aware of and being with and tracking and then interpreting what that information is and means um, that that's an enormous resource that we tend not to engage in our culture because as I've pointed to before you know in Western culture the the body is the pedestal that the statue of the head rests on, right? It's an inert, meaningless, it's just there to support the head, which is we all know the important thing, which of course there's a lot of sensory apparatus centered in the head, so there's some significance to that, but this is more about like cognition and, and you know, rational thinking and reason and all these things. But, um, but then when you're talking about the soil, um, and Dominic says, we'll feel it. It's like, we, we don't, we're, we're not, we're never, we're not, we have to be taught that as adults. Now we don't have a relationship with the earth, with what the, like literally the soil is the earth, but also the other people of the earth, the trees, the plants, the animals, etc. We're always like, no, oh, don't go there. Like, you know, we're afraid of rabid foxes. We're, you know, <laughs> all the things. Um, but that that is when we step into relationship with that, there's knowledge there that's available to us there's, if we, when we're in relationship with it. And that's about um, coming down off of our pedestal, essentially. It's about coming down into the body to embody the natural reality of our organisms in relationship with the, with the, um, uh, with, with the, the context in which we um, live, the life of the world. Um, and so there's, a, um, I think mainly I'm just pointing to the availability of a great deal of resource um, in the body and through the body in relationship, um, but that requires 
regarding the head as something other than a statue on a pedestal, right? It, it, it involves inhabiting the entire, phys the entire physical body, the entire organism, and not just identifying with the part that thinks or the thinking itself. Yeah. And that also uh, is, is, is part uh, of the question that she asked that earth, uh, earth loves, does earth love you? Is also that connection is, oh, that's why my body doesn't love me, right? My body doesn't love me because it's, it's and, all heat. Yeah. And a lot of people don't love their bodies. Yeah. Well, they don't, they don't, they have, they have what Matthew said, they have no relationship precisely. with. No, precisely. Yeah. It's, 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 of course, they will think in their head that they love their body because they are training every day or, or you know, to, to, to get better with their bodies accordingly to the left part of the brain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Getting better with the body is not being in relationship with the body is being here and telling the body from here what I want you to be. Like we tell Mother Earth what I want you to be from here. And then that, that not being in relationship gets to the point of talking even in conversation with friends or whatever, my body doesn't love me. My not as a metaphor, as a real thing. My body doesn't love me. I don't eat this because my body does. If I eat it, my body doesn't love me. The same like we do with with yeah with nature. And 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 that's interesting because it it, it also is. Um, I'm, I've been vegetarian since 2015, and before that maybe five or seven years of being a flexitarian, which for me meant to avoid all industrial meat. So I could eat game or, you know, whatever was, was like not industrially raised or fished or whatever. But I've been, I've been doing a, a data-driven fasting thing for the past two, three months, which has been really, really interesting because it's basically saying what what my system needs when it needs it is absolutely unique to my system and they have discovered this little way of actually finding out that system by using a, a blood glucose measurement device so you know before when you feel hungry test your blood sugar and see where are you compared to a trigger that is then come at through a baseline and just eat the way you do but measure before and after you eat which has been really really interesting because i'm finding out what makes my body just sing happily you know when i eat because my body says please give me this i want this and when now and again my brain pops in saying oh i should want this thing and my body says no i really don't yeah 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 you do because this that and the other thing and so i eat it and my i i'm 
again, I'm coming into relationship with this in such a physical way. I can feel how unhappy my body gets because of the sensations in it, of it, what it feels like an hour after I've had that thing that I love up in my brain. But if I take my entire me into it, maybe I don't love that so much anymore. So it's been really, really fascinating to come into relation with my body that tells me all of these things that I, you know, that are, are extremely helpful for me to know what to eat, when to eat it, how much to eat it, you know, in a way that will make, that I believe, like, nature is, is set up this way. It's like we all, all of the people, like you say, the tree people and the fungi people and the animal people and the human people, all of us have this innate knowing of how to nourish ourselves. Um, we're just kind of rationalizing out of it and, and sort of stepping away from that, thinking, no, this is what we should eat. We should eat it this way. It's like, no. And what I should eat and how I should eat it might not at all look like what either of you, what your bodies, what your system says that you should eat and when you should eat it. And I have actually been thinking about, I'm, I'm curious to know, because I'm, I'm starting a macro challenge, a macro masterclass, finding out the like protein and carbs and fat. It's like, what's the level that makes my body sing? And after that, you can go on to a micro masterclass where you actually fine, fine tune. Am I getting all of the nutrients that my body needs? Um, but I've been, I've been pondering the thought that maybe I will turn flexitarian again. If, if it turns out that, okay, you, you have this, but you actually, you lack this thing. Um, I have, I, I cannot see myself ever going back to being an industrial meat eater and, and eating, like you say, the, the, the meat or product that are produced through that deformation of that relationship i have it's like i won't <laughs> you know yeah is that i just won't but that other aspect the 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 relationship aspect and i mean i do eat uh i'm a vegetarian not a vegan and i want wool and i want leather and you know so i'm i'm not one of those uh who who believe that veganism is the answer or one of the answers it might well be for some people if that's what their bodies want and need you know i don't know that i i but, i i think that that innate uh knowledge that you pointed out is also it also knows about the law it, it also yes. is also, or maybe it's just love. Yes. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what love is. <laughs> but uh, I, 
I, I during the years, uh, my industry, the 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 hospitality, tourism, uh, food industry uh, that relates to, um, I've been in it, through it, <laughs> and I know, and my body knows that November, December are big months. It's, they are. I have been. I have been working in in this industry enough, and my body knows enough. So, my body has adapted to that. Hmm. And the only time of the year that cars for sugar is that time of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And and I and it's a cra craving that it doesn't come from my head. It comes from. I need, you need energy, woman, and quick. You need energy and quick, right? What it, amazing it is that the 1st of January is like that. The 1st of January is gone. It's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, beautiful. And I was talking with a, a friend the other day. And I said, you know, I think it's time for me to change that pattern. Mm. Because I, it gets, it's not just the craving of sugar, it is, it's to be balanced, to be in harmony. There is so much stress because the hours on 70 hours a week and things like that, there's so much stress going on that in my body is dealing with it. And my body loves me enough. And I know that dealing with it is part of the job, right? In this, because it's a period of time, really concrete in the year, um, and blah, blah, blah. And, and now I'm starting, this year, I'm starting to listen to, to her. <laughs> and she's telling me, maybe could be interesting to change this pattern from now on. Yeah, it's... Um, it's very interesting to and 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 about about this this uh, way of of living with nature that eat it from how you feel to, to, that's the relationship the relationship food is part of that relationship with nature, so the way our constitution is so far in, in evolving and it continues evolving so the vegan part of the uh, evolution that if we go that way we don't really know what that means for our body in the long term uh, maybe we just our heads walking or something uh, but if, even even our brain physical part of the brain which is part of the body needs animal fat so hey hello um, so it's, uh, it's very interesting that um, how the, the same relationship, what she has, the same relationship that we had with, the, with Mother Earth, we have with our body too. And that question of does Mother Earth loves you, love you, is also a question of does your body love you? And, and it goes together. So at the moment, it is a who wants a shortcut? That is a shortcut. Start with your body. <laughs> well, and who is making the decision about the vegan 
solution, right? Like, like, or what? Like, so, so is that, is that the head or the body? Like, is, is that, is the notion that veganism is, as a, is, a, is an effective single bullet for everything that's ailing humanity on the planet right now? Um, or cho you choose your poison, is it carbon, is it veganism, is it whichever single bullet we're talking about? Is that a bottom-up? Is that arising from hmm, my body is I'm responding to my body and discovering a posteriori that this is the solution or is this a cognitive left brain I need a simple solution to a complex problem a priori I'm deciding that veganism that seems like a good one let's go with that and and so to me there's also something here with the top down top down we think about top-down governance as political structure and decision-making for the planet as that's a problem right now in terms of how do we turn things around because, you know, what am I going to do? Just suggest to Joe Biden that we do things differently or, right? I mean, like, mm -hmm. no, of course not, right? And so that, um, but that also, um, but there's power in distributed decision-making. It's just never going to be concentrated in one person but that's appropriate, right? Because if we have power concentrated in one person, that's the model of the top-down decision-making that's unnatural, like that doesn't mm -hmm. show up in the natural mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. And that this is then also the same model as my head is making decisions for the rest of me, right? And that there's an alignment between a head of state, why do we call it that? Mm. And the head driving the whole, you know, making all the decisions for the body and not listening to the body, but rather enforcing or, or imposing. Again, we're talking about imposition and relationship of like, I think this is a better idea, so I'm going to make you do it this way because I've got the keys and the steering wheel. Um, instead, we can choose to say, what does the body tell me that it needs, that therefore I need? because it, it, I need the body, like what's the head without a body, you know, like doesn't get very far, can roll, mm -hmm. but um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to, to consider all of these aspects of, of, of life, really. Um, and, and it, it is this, this me and, and Micah uh, in season one, I had just read or listened to an Akimbo episode with, uh, with Seth Godin, where he spoke about colors and the, and the 264 set crayon, crayon box or however many it is that for an artist there's not red there's like a gazillion different hues of red and they're all you know all have their specific name and the same is true for all of the other basic colors and, and everything in between and it's a little bit like that it's like a lot of us have, have kind of i think gone into this quite anorexic relationship with our our body the system that we are it's like maybe we have five colors maybe we have the colors of the rainbow and that's it we don't have the others we don't know we don't know the name of it we don't know the sense of it we don't know the feeling of it it's like and if you can okay just add one you know 
you know, between the yellow and the and the blue, there can turn out to be a different kind of green. You know, it's like you can add one by one, add to it. And and I can that's kind of that's a metaphor that for me feels very, oh yeah, I can relate to different periods in my life where I can feel like I didn't have as many colors back then. And then I've added on and added on. And today I feel like I have quite a lot of, of colors in my Crayola books. It's like, I, I, or crayon box. It's like, I, I have, and I can just imagine, you know, how many more are there? It's like, well, actually endless. Like in actuality, because you can always shift just one color molecule more or less, and you have a new one, right? So it's like it's it's it just never ends. It's infinite. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's like well, ooh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like our senses. We have supposedly five senses. We have so many more senses. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I read some book said there are 28 or something where they, you know, they, they add in all of these interoceptic, you know, the baroreceptors, you know, that's why you can kill mm, somebody or knock them out. If you press on the baroreceptors on the neck, mm -hmm. you know, and, and all of these. And the intersections in between them. Yes. Relationships. Precisely. Precisely. Relationship. Yeah. Precisely. And, and, you know, it's like, yeah. And, and it, 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 it is this as be as above, so below when you were speaking in about, you know, does, does the earth love you? Does my body love me as above? So below it's like, so yes, you are right in that. Start here, start here, start here, start where you are. Cause all of us actually do have a body. Yes. Huh? No. Surprise, it's there. Um, and when you do start, then you're likely to find that, like we were talking about with plasticity, that even though you may have always had one kind of experience that's felt very static or even rigid, it like it's it's remarkable how quickly things can change and how how, how much complexity of experience can arise by by stepping into something. By, yeah. by deliberately making the choice, exercising your agency to, to, to do something different, to listen to your, to develop a relationship with your body, to, you know, put your hands in the soil. Um, yeah. Listen. Yeah, with, with everything. Hmm. Hmm. Well, to engage in relationship, right? I mean, I think yeah. that's maybe at the heart of all of that yeah. is that, is that, you know, and when we extend personhood beyond the human family, then the then the notion of relationship becomes different as well in our experience. You know, um, because relationship is a two way street, right? I mean, otherwise, it's not. I mean, other. I mean, I guess you could say I, you know I have a relationship with something that's not. But um, but even like my relationship with my guitar, like that's that's also a two way street. Even I'm not necessarily granting agency, you know, extending. I don't know that my guitar has agency or is a person, and yet mm, I don't know. It gets kind of murky. Um, so, but relationship is uh, more. I think maybe more complex and has more nuance than we have perceived it as having, or have been we've been taught to perceive it as having. Yeah. 
Again, adding to the colors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot to be in relation with uh, or relate to. Yeah. Maybe that's where we end. Perfect. Perfect ending. <laughs>